want to encourage you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, is where we'll be this morning. And uh, there's a song that was uh, floating around in my head uh, this week as I studied this passage. And uh, it's fairly new, maybe within the last 10 years. It's a group called Cademan's Call. And um, there's a line in it that they say over and over again. And a lot of times where uh, you have a song that uh, has a line that goes over and over, that's the line you remember. And it's this line. It says, this world has nothing for me. And then there's a big pause. And this world has everything. And uh, it shows the uh, emptiness of what is found here. And as we go to the book of Ecclesiastes again, uh, my wife asks me often uh, Friday, Saturday, hey, what are you preaching on this week? And I got to make something up really good. Uh, um, and and I, I was looking for this grand theme and I just said, more of the same, more of the same. Uh, and as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 4, uh, we hear things that we've already heard, uh, maybe in a more specific way, but more of the same. And, and what is the more of the same? Uh, it's that there's a meaninglessness to this world. And as I was struggling through this passage, uh, in our world, we, we struggle to find truth. We struggle to find truth. We struggle to identify what is true and what is a lie. And, and sometimes we see things that aren't right in the world and, and we say, oh, I must have not understood that properly. I, I, there must be more to the story. I must have uh, been delusional and missed the point. But this morning, uh, as I will go through these points, I, I want to tell you it's truth. It's true that things are like this. It's true that this world is like this. Uh, if you're in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you'd stand in honor of God, God's word, I'd like to read to you the first eight verses of chapter 4. God's word says this. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the, their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I, I thought the dead uh, who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, been or has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool uh, folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. Uh, one, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. 
God, we hear your word this morning, and I ask that you grant us courage and vision for what you want us to be doing with this life. God, help us to not become discouraged, but be energized that you do have a way, a way that brings glory to your name, a way that is different than being stuck here under the sun. God, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we uh, sung some great songs, I hope they grant you courage. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Christ is enough for me. I love these songs. I love the, the point. I, I want to know Him more. I want to know Him more. And, and part of this idea of knowing Him more is it would be better for us if we knew Him more. It would help us today, but not just today, but forever, uh, to know Him more. Um, these are the songs that grant us hope. And and as I come to this passage, I'm stalling. Um, as I come to this passage this morning, I want you to remember the hope of the gospel. That we're no longer looking, we're no longer up for sale because of what Jesus has done. We don't, we're not stuck here uh, in this meaningless life because we found Jesus. And we have a filter that we look at all of life uh, through now, because of what Jesus has done, because of his transforming us and granting us life, we look at life differently. And this morning, as we, um, as we look at this passage, uh, it's kind that the Lord has shared a, this message with us. It's kind of him. And, and you say, well, how is it kind? It's very simple. Uh, if if you had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, you need to take this medicine, it will cure you. And it was a lie. It was a lie. that The doctor gave you the wrong medicine. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be kind and merciful for someone to tell you? Wouldn't it be kind and merciful? If you were he- heading on a trip and you were going the complete wrong direction, and, and you were on a path, and you were on your car, and you were anxious to get there, wouldn't it be kind and generous if someone would stop you and say, you're going the complete wrong way? I, as you look at this, sometimes in our world today, we're all about validating people and encouraging people and slapping them on the back and saying, you're doing great. That, that's a good idea if they're heading in the right direction. If they're going in the wrong direction, it's awful. It's awful. And as we look to the Word of God today, maybe some of us are going in the wrong direction. We're thinking wrongly about the world that we live in. So with that, I'm done stalling. Let's get to it. Uh, as we look at this, this passage, there's many common uh, phrases and themes that the Lord has used uh, through the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. We believe Solomon uh, he says, again, I saw, I saw. He, he was looking around. And if you can picture it this way, uh, he was studying the world that he lived in. And maybe some of you have done this. You, you've gotten this thing. He says, I really want to figure it out. And he's looking at things. He's looking at scenes and people and what's going on. 
he's watching the news. Uh, I don't think it was Fox or CNN or anything like that. But he's watching the events that are happening. He is twisting and turning, taking scenes in and trying to make sense of it all. And some of us do that. Some of, some of us are, are searching and studying, looking, turning our attention, taking it in. And as we do this, uh, I, I want to tell you before it happens, like he didn't find good things. The things, the conclusions he came to weren't ones that comforted his soul. In fact, it caused him to think quite the opposite. It's interesting, I was thinking about vacations uh, as I was studying this. and uh, Rarely do we go to places, like we like to go to places like Yellowstone or Yosemite. And, and, and nobody goes to these places and says, I hope there's a ton of people there when we go. Right? Uh, we go to uh, natural wonders. We go to the beach and we say, I hope the beach is just covered with people. Uh, in fact, most of us, we talk about our vacations and we, we, when we go and you say, it was great. There was no one there, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I want to think about that for a moment. Uh, how many of you have uh, gone on vacations, um, uh, to the prison? You're, you're marking out throughout the, uh, you're ch- you have a, a map of the United States and, each uh, prison is uh, marked, and you're going, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can visit all the prisons in America. I, I thought I, I was thinking about this, and we did have a lady here at the church. No, no joke. Um, and this is part of the gospel coming in her life and changing her life. Um, she wrote letters to inmates. She wrote letters, and she, when she died, I didn't know about this, but the day she died, I went over to her house, and her husband pointed to these binders filled with letters that she had written to inmates. Uh, she had gotten it through an organization, the Pen Pals, and uh, in the last five years of her life, they did take a vacation, and she visited the inmates, and I thought, I thought, that's really weird. I've never heard of this. And, and this lady was one of our Sunday school teachers. She taught first grade, I think, first or second grade. And it's this idea that the gospel had changed her, that uh, it changed the way she looked at vacations even. That she, wa- she really wanted to meet these uh, men that she had been writing to. Um, we, don't, we don't like to look at uh, really civilizations and people. Like we like to think about uh, amazing things and natural wonders and all these other things. But the idea of really seeing what people are like, uh, these are the things we pull away from and we uh, like to leave them vague because of what we might see. But, but he says, I saw this. I, I looked upon it. I studied it. And it, these were his conclusions. And we have really this morning, we have five of them. And this thought continues on in the rest of the chapter, but we'll get to that in the weeks to come. First, he finds meaningless injustice. So he, he saw this. He said, I looked at all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Oppressions. The idea of one taking advantage of the other. One of uh, inflicting harm on Uh, One person doing this to another. He says, I looked upon these oppressions that are done under the sun down here. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. He saw what had happened to individuals 
and they're weeping of the difficulty of life. And it says, and they had no one to comfort them. No one to comfort them. Uh, It's hard to see, especially we look at it in children, right? We hate to see oppression done to children. We hate to see children uh, starving. We hate to see children being abused. We hate to see them being neglected. Neglected. It breaks our heart. As a writer uh, of the book, he looked upon the oppressions that are done under the sun. And it's this injustice. Uh, We hate to see it. We hate to see it. We hate to dwell upon it. In our mind, everything should be fair. In our mind, the good guy should win in the end. Someone should step in. And yet, as he looked upon the oppressions of this life under the sun, he said that he saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. And what he's saying is the good guy didn't win in the end all the time. In fact, it rarely happens. In fact, those tears continue to flow and and many, many, the, the characteristic of this life is those tears just roll and there's no one to be there for them. And he, he looks upon as the oppressors and he says the, the great injustice of it all is that the power goes to the wicked. The power goes to the ones who are doing the oppression. If, if the power were equal uh, it would be the, like a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game. And, and there's a, a moment where the bad guys are winning, but there's a smile that comes in your mind and heart. They're going to come back and they're going to win in the end. And yet he looked upon this life. He looked upon the people that he saw and he said, the power is on the part of the oppressors. And once again, uh, No one to comfort them. No one to step in. No one to make the difference. He saw this. He saw the tears. He saw the lack of comfort. He saw the power that was going to the oppressors. And there's this cry in us that says, fix it. Fix it. Stop it. it. Shouldn't there be someone to step in? Call the police. Call the judges. Call someone to step in and make it right. As he cries out in his heart for the fix, there was no fix. And what makes this difficult for us to grasp this morning is its truth. It's truth. There'll be oppression that we see. We can't do anything about it. Uh there's a, 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 a nagging in our heart. And, and as our world, uh, through the internet and media, as our world becomes bigger, that we can participate as we can see, we can see more oppression. Think about that. Um, they could call the nightly news the hour of oppression, right? You, you look at that and... Uh, um, I, I know I know we should know what's going on, but if you watch the news because it's interesting and you think it's going to bring courage and help to your day, it will not. It will not. It's the hour of oppression. It's the injustices placed before us. 
And for us, uh, what makes that so frustrating is we sit in our living rooms and we can't fix it. Can't do anything about it. These are, these are people that most of them will never meet. Most, sometimes in countries, will never go to with complex problems, oppressors with the power taking it out on those who can do nothing and there's no one to comfort them. He moves from meaningless injustice to meaningless living. It even draws him to this conclusion. Verse 2, he says, I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. That's a sobering and desperate and depressing idea, isn't it? You look at this and it, uh, uh, we might go quickly to suicidal or a death wish. Because what he saw draws him to the conclusion that living isn't that great of a deal. And for those who have ended their, have en- their life has come to an end, he says they're fortunate. They're fortunate. And why? Why are they fortunate? Because they no longer have to see it, right? They no longer have to see the injustices of this life. I want to tell you uh, that that's truth for you. That's truth for you. To make it to the end, the end of this life, should not be something that you dread. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's time to rejoice. Time to rejoice because your faith will now become side. It will no longer be something of the future. It will be something of the present. He says the fortunate, uh, the ones who are fortunate are those who have died. They no longer have to look upon the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And there's even one better than, uh, than the fortunate. <laughs> Those who are stillborn or never born. And you look at that and you think, the loss. We consider a, a barren family or the, the idea that a, a little baby uh, born in the womb and yet never outside. And, and, and we think, what a loss. And yet, the truth that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says that this life is filled with evil and oppression that we have to see. It's hard to take in and it's hard to know what to do with. This is life under the sun. You go from meaningless, seeing meaningless injustice to meaningless living. And the bad thing about it is it's true, right? It's true. Which brings us uh, to meaningless motivation. And this verse, I want to tell you, this verse is shocking to me. I read it and reread it this week, and, and I, I, I just, it's so hard for me to put it into place. And maybe it won't be anything to you, maybe those of you who have grown past uh, what I've understood, but meaningless motivation. In verse 4, he says, then I saw, remember, then I saw, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm looking and finding meaning in this life. And he says, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work. Let's stop there. Um, being good, uh, good Republicans, capitalists, is work good? It's good to work, right? It's good to work. And it's good to get skills, right? It's good to go to college, get, get your certificate of this or certificate of that. And it's good to climb the ladder. And it's good to be motivated to do so. 
to work hard, to toil, and to get skills. We look at the book of Proverbs, how we have some of these same ideas put in there. We just stopped there. I'm okay. I'm doing fine. Uh, I, I, I have a column for that. I have a column for that. But in verse 4, he says this, Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And I look at the motivation of life, and he connects this motivation to get skill and to work hard, and he says, it's the envy of our neighbor. When I think of the envy of our neighbor, it goes to all the verses, including the Ten Commandments, that, that envy is a sinful thing. It's to be envious, of to desire someone's stuff or their position or whatever, to be like them. Uh, that is a sinful thing. To be content is what we are to be, right? To be content, to rejoice in our relationship with God. But envy is a wrong motivation. And then he says this, all hard work and all skill is driven by envy of their neighbor. This is the character. He, he puts the word all in there. He, he, he's trying to encompass all that he has seen. And he says, this is the grand motivation of life to work hard and to get skills is so I can have what he has. So I can be like him. So I can uh, uh, go and do and have and enjoy what he has. It's all driven by envy. Yikes. As we look at this, uh, I I think about, uh, there's a couple of things in here, by the way, if you're a business owner, that means something, doesn't it? Uh, It means something. How do you motivate your workers? Uh, it's sad to say, but it's by competition, right? It's by saying, you know, this one has done more than you. You should probably want that. Uh, that that's a way to motivate people. That's why, uh, you, you, you know, you look at sports and the competition drives people to get better. It drives them to work harder. And there's this thing of, oh, if I just work harder next year, we'll get them. This is how... And, and, and as I look at this, I don't want to let us off the hook too early, right? This is the way it is. This is truth. How does the world turn? How do things work? I want to tell you, uh, envy, this sinful motivation, drives the world that we live in. And it drives people uh, to work hard because they want something that someone else has. It drives them to get skill, to compete, to be better than the ones they see. The envy of neighbor. I want to tell you what what this leads to is to be a workaholic. To be someone who's striving for excellence just to be better. An envy of what someone else has or does. And so his, and by the way, like uh, there's all these little pieces that come together and he starts them with, and, and I saw, or uh, some of the things that, and then he, he ties them up with some of the other phrases that he keeps using, right? And this one, 
he says at the end of verse 4, this also is vanity and a striving after wind, right? He said this before. This ties up this little idea. He saw this, and now in his reflection of it, he sees meaningless motivation or even sinful motivation uh, that causes our world to turn the envy of a neighbor. You look at uh, what drives people to be great. Most of the time, it has everything to do with them envying someone or some, some group of people and what they have. Motivates us. And he says about this, he says, this motivation leads to meaninglessness and a striving after wind. Striving after wind. When you hear that, the striving after wind, it's a, it's a meaningless marathon, right? It's this, I'm going to work super hard to get nowhere, right? I don't want to tell any of you this, but it's the treadmill. Working really hard. It's, always, it's interesting, the treadmill, uh, initially it was just for walking, but in the last few years, people have uh, understood the benefit of sprinting. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there, there are people that go to the gym and they sprint on the treadmill. They should be wearing hockey gear, by the way, because you can wipe out pretty good, uh, you know, running. this idea. But, but what about sprinting? You don't get any farther. You, there's no more great progress to be made on the treadmill. And if you're trying to get someplace, not just get exercise, well, I'll tell you, it's striving after the wind. You get nowhere. Look at this, and I, I want to say this word, word, word to get uh, you thinking, okay? I know I'm nervous about some of these things. Uh, capitalism. Is that a good word or a bad word? What's it driven by? The envy, the envy of your neighbor, the desire to have more. Capitalism, good or bad? And some of you are going, Pastor, let's not talk. Let's talk about something else, okay? Capitalism, the good or bad? I, I, I want to say it this way: Capitalism works. It's just not good. It works. It's just not good. That, that's what this verse teaches us. It's that it works. It's functional. It's pragmatic. It keeps things in its balance and it causes us to be motivated to do for ourselves. But is capitalism good? Is it, is it good relationally? No, it's not. And that's the truth. This is the truth of God's word. It's right. It's right. This is God's word. I didn't write this. Okay. Inspired by him. So we move on uh, to verse 5. He looks at meaningless leisure. Uh, verse 5, he says, The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. It, these two go together meaningless motivation and meaningless leisure. He now turns toward the fool who says, I don't need to work. He's already taken care of the one who's motivated 
uh, to work hard and skill. Now he turns to the one who is a, a fool who folds his hands. It's the idea I'm not working, I'm, I'm relaxing, I'm, leisure, I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm folding my hands, I'm being quiet. Uh, the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. He gives a, a graphic picture, right? Uh, why would one eat his own flesh? Uh, because he has nothing to eat. You know why? Because he was folding his hands. The farmer who folds his hands does not get anything at the end. Uh, he speaks of the one who says, I, you know, I, I don't want to work. I, I'm going to fold my hands. I'm going to enjoy leisure. It sounds better to enjoy leisure than to work. The fool folds his hand and then he eats his own flesh. What a graphic picture. Why does he eat his own flesh? Because he has nothing to eat. Because he hasn't worked. He doesn't raise anything and so he must eat himself. I want to say another word. No cheering, please. Socialism. I don't have to work. Somebody will work for me. We'll just share all the good stuff that you work so hard for. Uh, that, that sounds like a better deal. And uh, it's a better deal, especially if you've folded your hands, right? Somebody else has done it for you. I want to tell you, socialism is good, but it only lasts about five minutes, right? Uh, wouldn't it be great if uh took all the money that our country had or all the money of not just uh, what we have in government, but all the rich people, all who have amassed wealth, and we took all their money and we put it into planes. We put it into planes. And we drove, uh, we, we drove, we flew the planes throughout the nation and we just threw the money out, threw the money out to whoever could find it and get it. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be great. But it'd be over. And it can't be sustained. There's no way to go on. If you don't work, there's, somebody can give to you, but it doesn't solve the problem of need. And so Solomon, as he looks upon those who are foolish and would not find, he says they eat their own flesh. Why? Because there's no way to provide for yourself if you don't work. And then he says this, and when you get these in the book of Ecclesiastes, what's better, cling to them, grab them. He says this, he says it's better, verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. So how he concludes this idea of uh, working hard because of envy and folding your hands, he says, one hand, one hand, just having one hand. And the idea of having one hand as, as opposed to clinging to both is to have enough, just a little bit, with quietness, than have a lot with this idea of striving uh, and, you know, the, the vanity that comes. And, and as he shares this, he says, once again, full of toil and striving after wind. Um, this, is a, this is a conversation. Uh, the, these ideas are a check for our own heart, obviously. What we think is important and what we chase after in this life. But, boy, these verses have a ton to do with parenting. 
ton. You know, the, the only question they ask in career counseling uh, in schools, how much money? How much money can you make? That's all they ask. Yeah. Well, how much money do you want to make? And, oh, I want to choose this career. I want to chase that. No, don't do that. They don't make enough money. They don't make enough money. You'll, you'll, you'll be poor all your days. Uh, it, it's rarely talked about just the simple idea of saying, being content, learning to work, learning to glorify God. That's, obviously, that comes from parents, right? By the way, some of you say, well, they don't teach that in school anymore. I know they don't. You know why? Because God's given them parents to teach them that. You know, parents don't know math, okay? Very few of us can really handle the math anymore. That should be time to say amen, by the way. Some of you parents. Uh, but we can teach our kids to glorify God. We can teach them when enough is enough. And as God instructs our own hearts about these things, we need to be sharing these with our kids. Where was I? Um, strive, I was striving after the wind. There it is. Um, the meaningless leisure, which leads us to our last one, verse 7. Meaningless collecting of wealth. He says, again, I saw. Once again, he has that marker. I have a new thought. I looked at something else. And if you could just picture him going, I'm studying this, studying this. I'm looking over here and then I'm looking over here. And these are the things that I saw. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. I, I saw this fleeting sense of this life. And he says in verse 8, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is still no end to all his toil. And as I is, so, so this, this verse right here, very important one as well. Um, I, for those of you men here today, do you remember what it was like to be single? I, I don't want to get too far into this. But anyways, uh, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember that place you lived, the bachelor pad? Uh, I remember the place that I lived in. It was an apartment. Uh, it was a two, very small two-bedroom, and there were four of us living in there. And the front door had about a two-inch gap on it, like this, two-inch gap. You could stick your whole arm underneath it. Like, it, you know, we rented this place, and we didn't care. We didn't care. Uh, I remember one of us got the great idea. We, we didn't really have a way. We had a refrigerator, but we had no way to... Um, it wasn't like we were living as a family. We were living as bachelors. And so uh, we got this idea. Smart and Final was around there. And they had like 100 hot dogs for $10 or something like that. So one of us bought that. And, you know, that's three meals a day right there, right? Hot dog for every meal. This is great, right? And there was a sense of uh, caveman to this. And, you know, none of us had real jobs. And, and we were just making it. By, and it was fine. You know Why? Because we were living just for ourselves. There was no sense to do better. Why? Because no one was depending on us. And, and I want to tell you, there's this growing up part that's very important. Uh, that life is meaningless. Life lacks substance when it's just for ourselves, especially for a man. And so he points to this uh, this person or this one 
And he connects real quickly this idea of motivation for others. I want to tell you, life is about others. That there's a a right motivation uh, to get married and then to realize you're serving that other person. It brings purpose to your life. And then to have kids after that and to realize these kids don't know anything. They need me. It brings purpose to a life. I want to tell you that as we look at, at this, you know, th- this section has so many great things for us to impart to our children. But he says he speaks to this one person who has no one, either son or brother. There's no one dependent upon him. And it says, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. What he pictures here is this. The, the single guy with no family, no one looking to him. There's no reason for him to get up and to do and to provide for. Yet he does it to amass wealth. He he does it to get a big pile of money. And he pictures this meaningless collecting of wealth, this greed that has driven him. And that he's never satisfied, that he just keeps collecting money. He's so busy with it that he says in verse 8, he, he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Who is it that you work for? Why do you get up? What is the purpose of your life? See, Hard work and the pushing away of pleasure and the the getting up and depriving yourself, that has a purpose. That has a purpose for your spouse. It has a purpose for your children and your grandchildren. There's purpose in that. Even if you don't have a spouse, even if you don't have children or grandchildren, the idea that you are about things that are important, about the Lord's work, this should drive us. But in our world... Um, the game of making money and having money seems to keep us so busy that we forget why we're doing it. And really the, the proper motivation of us providing for someone and doing for those who need um, isn't the drive, but just this being never satisfied with riches, as it says depriving myself of sleep and of pleasure uh, just because I want more. He says, this also is vanity, and not just vanity, but it's an unhappy business, unhappy business. You may have met people like this before, and you just say, boy, they're just greedy and unhappy. Why? You know why they're unhappy? Because they're part of an unhappy business. They've got themselves in an unhappy business. And you can tell them that too. You can say, why don't you go look at the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes. It might have something in there for you if you think about it. You know, It's an unhappy business. And what is it? It's the truth. It's the truth. As we look at this, uh, I want to give you three things that what we find in our world today. What we find in our world today. The first one is as you look, As you look at this world, you will see natural discouragement everywhere. Uh, Everywhere. And what I mean by that is this, that as you dwell 
on what happens in this world, as you think about it, as you see it over and over again and study it, you will find the discouragement of life in that. You see it everywhere. Secondly, you'll find in this world that this world is fueled by sin. Fueled by sin, not by greatness. Not by greatness. We, we like to think that there's something noble about being the best. Something noble about it, that, that hard work. I want to tell you, if you trace that, if you trace all that, chances are you will find it driven not by goodness, but by envy. This world is fueled by sin. And lastly, you will see in our world today that the only one we need and the only one where there is hope is Jesus. I want to remind you that chapter 4 is talking about under the sun. The best that we can do here. And the best that we can do here is a mess. Hope is found in Jesus. Hope is found in Him. And I want to gently encourage you today. Gently encourage you. If you've been chasing after stuff, or if you've been folding hands, you've been looking to the news to find something good, you've been staring at the world and going, there's got to be some justice here. There's got to be something good. I want to tell you, I want to tell you this is super important for you to see. Hope is found in Jesus. Hope is found in Him. It's not found in those other places. It doesn't matter how long you stare. It doesn't matter how long you look. It doesn't matter where you're digging to find. If it's someplace other than Jesus, you will be found. Uh, you'll find your life to be empty, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Hope that's encouraging to you this morning. Let's pray.